Hidden in the depths of the mind is a secret tomb where knowledge, fear, mystery, and a macabre sense of enjoyment is held. Each corner is resplendent with its own curiosities, and each curiosity appeals to a different soul. You're listening to The Crypt of the Unknown, a podcast that discusses the realms of the horrific and the fantastic in print, games, or on the screen. And now, introducing you to the Guardians of the Crypt... Your tour guides, here are Webb and Stefan J.D. I am the Critical Android, and joining me, as he's always here, resting and rotting in the crypt alongside me, America's finest, Stefan J.D. Hello. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. No, I'm just doing good. That's grammatically <laughs> incorrect. You're doing well. I'm doing... Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear you're good and well. Yes. But for for today's topic, you were the one who suggested this, and I'm glad you did because it was not something I had read previously. What tomb have we unearthed today, my friend? <laughs> so, comic book, Judge Dredd, America. It's from the British culture. 2000 AD. It's a magazine where it puts out like one fourth of what would be an actual comic book every month. So you'd probably get like five pages of story, an issue. And this is America. Yeah, Judge Dredd. How'd you come across this one? So I had a friend, had, I <laughs> past tense. So I have a friend named Andrew Davis. He's a very good friend. And he introduced me to Judge Dredd reading the comic books. Obviously, I'd seen the movies, played the video games, <laughs> the terrible video games. But I'd never read the comic books. And basically what it is, is it is, you know, the British culture looking at it's it's kind of like uh, looking at an American society and writing like a very highbrow extreme version of a conservative America. Ridiculous, extreme. It's very humorous as well. But that's that's it. And you know, when it comes to dread, there's a list of stories that everyone I think should read, and this is one of them. I did read online that this is a very highly regarded story from the the Judge Dread canon. However, interestingly enough, as we'll come to find out. If this is, you know, something that you want to read to get, like, an introduction to Dread, probably better serve reading other things, because there's not a lot of Dread in this Judge Dread story. Yeah, there is the sensation of Dread, but not actual Judge Dread. Correct. There, yeah, hell of a Dread. That's what really moves this story along. Just not the character D-R-E-D-D, but the emotion <laughs> D-R-E-A-D. Correct. For those of you who really, who really needed these references spelled out for you, we've literally spelled it out for you. <laughs> yeah, Drock. So yeah, if anyone doesn't know who Judge Dredd is, God forbid, uh, Judge Dredd himself is just, the judges are extreme corporal punishment. They're just, they're just established that they can basically take the law into their own hands whenever the hell they feel like it. Judge Dredd himself actually is a good judge, though. He believes in, you know, order, justice, and rights, um, although he'd put order and justice over rights and freedom. <laughs> Dredd himself is a good person but a very extreme good person would you agree with that yeah and what i would like before we continue because unfortunately and i think this is where we have to like do a public service here if you could uh, let's assume that a lot of people unfortunately their exposure to judge dread may have been sylvester stallone 
If we were to assume that the average person listening to this podcast would know of Dread purely from the Stallone interpretation, what would you say are things that they need to know about this character versus what they might assume based off portrayal of film? I would say that you're missing out on half of what Dread is. So Dread is a lot like the first five minutes of that movie. He is the law, but he is also stuck in a comic book. So that means that a lot of ridiculous shit can happen. There's a Judge Dredd story where the whole city has a pie war and they throw pies at each other. <laughs> and the judges, the police station, have to take this matter seriously and figure out how to stop people from having a pie war. At one point in time, do, does somebody jump in and say, uh, you know, we got to take care of this. This is, could get bad. Another person goes, uh, take care of this. will be easy as pie. <laughs> I think they do have an argument about how to stop pie production. Or does somebody go, take care, this is going to be a cakewalk, and the other person's going, no, not a cakewalk, it's going to be easy as pie. <laughs> You're going to spend five years in the ISO cubes for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, when it comes to puns, I really know how to take the cake. <laughs> yeah, you do, you just know how to top it off. Um <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm dough nuts about them. <laughs> we want to do pastry puns. I can keep these things rolling. Well, I, I just give me a second. Let me get baked real quick. <laughs> Let's continue before people hate us entirely. Yes, there's two coins to dread. It's not always serious. Uh, dread himself never once changes. He is law and order purely, but the world around him doesn't take itself seriously for one second. So. If you watch that movie, and even watch the new Dread movie with Carl Urban, they're missing a little bit of the humor of the comic books in there. Because, as you mentioned, the, the comics were mostly supposed to be based off of satire. And oftentimes, we can find where, when something starts off satirical, there's, uh, it, it, there's like three camps that will happen. One will be people who want the satire to continue because they enjoy the satirical element of it. Two... There'll be people who take the satire seriously and think that this is a good idea. Like, the judges are, are a good idea. We need something like that in this country. And, and that's just sad when that kind of stuff happens. But you see it when people just don't get the point of the satire. And then there'll be some that like it, but they don't like the satirical angle and want to try to take it more seriously to, I don't know, either de-emphasize the humorous points of what the satire is for. It can vary depending on the writer when these kind of things happen. I guess a similar comparison you could say would be to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, it was written as very much uh, kind of a satirical stab at, at uh, Daredevil and Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. I think we discussed that before. Like, you know, you got the hand, you got the foot, you got splinter, stick, all those things. When you have something like that, there's like a, the cartoon that came out that took a much more lighthearted approach to it. Then you have like the comic interpretation that was still very dark. We see some of that being walked finely with America, and that's one of the things that I immediately respected about it. Yeah, this one is still satire. It's just taken a little bit more seriously. Yeah, but there's still some ridiculous elements to it. Yeah, there, there's a lot to dive into with this as it's divided up into three different segments, essentially, that were written at different times. Uh, and they can all be crammed together to form this America trilogy. Right, but the actual story of America is pretty much just that first story. Right. First published in uh, 1990, from 1991, like you said, it was published across different parts of the magazine. The artwork on this, freaking fantastic. It's very 
of its time because I usually don't see this artwork that much anymore in this done in this fashion. It's almost like a painting, kind of. But yes. yeah, but it's that's it's definitely of its time. It very much is, but it's it's a beautiful thing to look at because it's a nice sharp contrast to what we would see later, not just in other comics, but in what we see with this publication because the other two volumes of this, so to say, do not have this same art style. Mm -hmm. They go for a more traditional look of what you would see at that time. But this original one, very kind of uh, painting-esque, as you put it. We find the story here of America in the sense of not America the country, though it parallels that. There's a young girl who is born in the first few pages of this story, uh, who is the daughter of immigrants to the country from Puerto Rico, and her name is America Jara. Right. They believe in the American dream. Yes. So much so that they named their daughter America. As she grows up, she talks about her first encounter with one of the judges when her friend Bennett Beanie was confronted by some other kids and attacked. And then one of the judges comes up to him and, you know, sees that they've been fighting and treats him like a criminal, even though he's been the victim of, of, a, of being beaten up by other kids. Right. The judges themselves really don't have time to have quarrels with who's right and wrong if they see something that they think is wrong it's just wrong because in this world of judge dread like 90 percent of the people are unemployed so people are starving committing acts of crime constantly and the judges can solve about like two percent of crimes and then to make matters even worse with all of this stuff you also have the disenfranchisement of pretty much everybody, whether it be immigrants or minorities or people in general, it's very much commentary about how the poor and the people on the lower rung of society are treated. That's true. Pushing people in that direction, especially this girl America, may lead to some sort of activism. As we'll find out, this sensation that she experienced when she was being harassed by these judges or seeing her friend being harassed, ultimately makes her want to like get not just revenge against the judges, but want to do something about this system. Which is why when she and uh, Bennett grow up, uh, Beanie becomes just more focused on what he wants to do as being a comedian and making people entertained. But America wants to actually change things, and she starts getting involved in the political system, joining the Democrats, which, in this case, not just a political party, but they're activists. Right. The Democrat side is not in control in any way, and <laughs> people can, can even get arrested for holding signs that say, you know, vote Democrat. There's nothing illegal about carrying them around, but if you post them, then you can get arrested. Uh, there's even an argument she has with one of her teachers when he's explaining the country to her. And he says something about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And she's like, do you honestly think that those things exist? He's like, well, one out of three isn't bad, right? You get life. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the hard satire note there that they're trying to throw in right at the beginning. Though at the same time, I would note from a political standpoint that the, <laughs> the Declaration of Independence, which has the phrase life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, is not a government-binding document. So, just because it was not prom Pursuit of happiness is not promised in the Constitution, which is probably one of the things that the judges would argue. That, you know, just because it was in the Declaration of Independence, that was not the document that was formed 
to be the basis for the government of this country. It was just uh, a political statement against the British. So you could easily have the judges argue that of saying pursuit of happiness is not in the Constitution and go on, on that angle, which sadly is actually a political argument that is used today. Yeah, uh, you know, there's no power to the people. So the judges want to stay in power and no quarrels about where the line of the law is. They are the law. So America herself is saying, you know, power to the people, judges out. There's no such thing in this comic book. It's in fact, Judge Dredd looks like the bad guy here. And that's intentionally meant to be that way because as they continue to grow up, Beanie does quite well for himself. He becomes kind of a comedian musician. I think he's like the Stephen Lynch of of that world. He d- he does very well for himself, makes some commercial jingles, gets a big break on television, but he has never forgotten his love for his friend America because he has romantic feelings for her. That never came into fruition because he wasn't part of the movement. It just, the love never, never came about. Right. Uh, and considering that Beanie never found another love, he takes some of his carnal delights with Ladies of the Night. And it's when it, going in search for one that he finds uh, America, or as he uh, nicknamed her, Amy. So there she is, looking like a Lady of the Night, only to find out that, you know, he's actually stumbled into kind of a, a setup here where they're trying to basically get some judges and and kill them. Yeah, they're going to ambush judges. Before that happens, though, something that kind of <laughs> makes me laugh, it probably shouldn't, Beanie's mom dies of terminal boredom. Oh, yes, yes. And she's thrown into an incinerator. It's like a conveyor belt. Bodies are just thrown into it and then scorched on fire. I just had to mention that. But when they are uh, doing the ambush of the judges... The guy, the group that's with America, one of them notices that Beanie's seen their face. So he shoots him in the throat. Um, I, I kind of, is that a message though? Is there a deeper meaning there, do you think? I, I don't know if it was meant to be kind of like a, a message against like silencing people because ultimately Beanie doesn't get silenced. I think it's a very convenient plot device because as we're going to find out, because he's shot in the throat, he can't speak to Dredd when Dredd goes to, to interview him, or you should say interrogate, I would say. So he can't speak. And this is a big thing in both real life and that we'll find out that comes into play in this comic as well. Being able to speak with somebody and pick up on their speech patterns and hear how they sound can be a very big thing about trying to determine whether somebody is, is lying or not. It's, it's a huge thing, that, that speech. So because Beanie here is reduced to having to type on a computer at first, because uh, he does survive, but all he can do is type on the computer to answer Dredd's questions, he's able to try to cover up for Amy. And even though Dredd thinks that he's, he's hiding back on something, he thinks it could just be holding back on the fact that he was trying to pick up a hooker and didn't want to get uh, caught for it. Right, and they discuss arresting him, but Dredd's like, ah, it's not worth the time. <laughs> um, funny enough, he does get to live lavishly, though, even though he can't sing anymore, and he's basically doomed, oh no, to live off his royalties for the rest of his life. Oh, heavens. Yeah, so this goes back to America being an activist. She's obviously poor. She fought in the war. Um, she disappeared for a while, and Benny, or Beanie, he's just chilling, having a good time, recuperating, 
And that's when America comes to visit him. Yes, America comes knocking. Will you answer the door? That sounds like a sounds like a Starship Trooper mid movie advertisement. <laughs> I'm doing my part. Yeah, yeah. you are. <laughs> when America comes knocking, will you answer the door? I did, and thumbs up for the camera. <laughs> Would you like to know more? <laughs> <laughs> no, she does come knocking, and he lets her in. This is where things start to take what could be a romantic turn or even a, dar- a darker turn, depending on how you look at it, because. They're talking, and America catches him up on what happened in his past, how the guy that she was seeing was ultimately killed in a a protest that was supposed to be peaceful, but the judges deliberately planted people into the crowd to instigate a riot by throwing rocks. And because somebody in the crowd started throwing rocks, that gave the judges the ability to open fire. And ultimately, I guess you could say significant other at that point in time, because they were going to, you know, she treated them like such was killed. And it very much completely changed the way of her life in terms of what she was going to do about this all. Yeah, it didn't turn out very well for a lot of people. The wars got really bad. Uh, They even mentioned uh, a nuclear blast that happened. The thing about that is, too, in real-world parallels, is that if there's a peaceful protest and one person throws a rock, that doesn't automatically mean the protest isn't still peaceful. Uh, If two people decide to riot... That doesn't mean the protest still isn't peaceful. It's a very fine line, protesting. And this definitely shows a dramatic side to it that, you know, when one person threw a rock, now they're all all doomed. The judges just take them out. It's sad, but that's what happens. And I think it even mentions that she's pregnant six months or something. Yep, she had a baby. And Mm -hmm. ultimately the, the child was... She almost miscarried because of the stress of everything. And during the genetic testing... They found out that the child was not, I guess, up to the standards of what human civilization needs it to be, so the child was terminated. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so it's very sad. <laughs> it's the parallels between Benny and her that are just from two different worlds. Even though they know each other, they're from two different worlds. And her going to visit him, and she finally sleeps with him, but it doesn't feel like it was out of love. She said it was, but then she immediately asks him for money to help her group called Total War to blow up the Statue of Liberty. Well, here, and here's the question. How much do you think America was manipulating Beanie versus how much do you think she actually cared about him? I think at the end of the day, her activism has always mattered more to her than him, but she definitely probably has some small feelings for him uh well let's put it this way because i I think this is uh the bigger question about her in general do you think that if he hadn't been a man of means and he had just been somebody who you know from her past that she needed to go talk to or wanted to visit do you think that she would have still gone to him if he wasn't rich that's a good question i don't know i think so yeah just to see if he was still alive maybe and apologize but probably wouldn't have slept with him. So, I mean, that that's the thing that makes America kind of a an interesting character in how she is willing to do whatever it takes for the mission. She does it, but her commitment to that mission goes so far as to even when, well, as we're going to find out here, it goes to shit. It completely goes to shit because entirely of Beanie. He agrees to give her the money because uh, she's looking for 100,000 uh, credits, basically. 
in order to buy the explosives and, and plan out this mission. And Beanie gets all the information from her about it, and then betrays her by telling the judges about it so that they can be prepared to take action. Right, it's the slaughter. They just show up, and they already know that they're going to be there, so they're just gunned down. Completely. And the thing that makes it all the worse is that Beanie tried to say that, you know, in exchange for this information, he didn't want America killed. Somebody, one of the judges, lets out a shot when she's unarmed, just trying to crawl up these steps with the flag to, you know, put it up there, and they still shoot her dead. Dread issues a reprimand to that judge who did that. It's like putting a, a Band-Aid on a broken leg. It's, it means nothing. But that's uh, the end of America. Uh, well, as we'll see, maybe not the end of America. But that's what ends up happening when she's just shot dead, and then he has to, like, go up to her, and, you know, Dredd's letting him go up the stairs and letting him like, handle the, the body of his now-deceased friend. And it's, uh, it's a painful scene. Yeah, America dies there on <laughs> the steps of liberty. Very interesting. And the way they do it in the artwork as well, is, it's told uh, exquisitely. Beanie, his last words, because what he does is he gets... He has the money to get a transplant to where he puts himself inside of Amy, America's body. And um, his last words in the comic are, but I like to think that I did it for Amy too, so at least part of her, at least gets her dream gets to carry on because she was right. You can't ignore what's going on. You can't bury your head in the sand and forget what the judges are doing to us. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep looking for America. And it cuts to dread right afterwards for this cold ending and Dredd's words are freedom, power to the people, democracy, the American dream. Don't kid yourself. We tried it before. Believe me, it doesn't work. You can't trust the people. So dream on creep, but just remember that's all that it is, a dream. America is dead. Yeah. And very much echoes the idea of America not just as you know the country, but also as a person. He's trying to live in this America, literally living in America. <laughs> living in America <laughs> he's living in America's body and also living in America the country and both of those are effectively dead it's very interesting this comic kind of blew me away at the beginning because again I had been used to the more humorous dread stories you know there's even a dread story about specific people that live in that world that just eat every day and they're paid to eat to be the fattest person in the city. <laughs> uh, you know, some allegory for gluttony. So this coming to this, this was very, very tough read. And that's pretty much why I want to talk about it, because I, I thought it had some interesting, you know, parallels to the real world. So interesting and scary parallels to the real world, frankly. And the, the saga of America continues. It was picked up years later. In a sequel series that was also written by uh, John Wagner, the man who wrote the first part. Mm -hmm. Did you want to uh, kind of very quickly tell everyone what the sequels are about? Because I actually haven't read them. Uh, America 2 is, is it's called Fading, Fading of the Light. And we basically find out that the transplant that was done, there's complications. Because um, just like somebody who gets an organ transplant can have their immune system try to attack that organ and there's immunosuppressants that can be done. In this case, there is a rejection of the mind and the body. He is not able to continue to live in that body, but unfortunately he has ignored the signs of rejection for so long 
that his brain is ultimately being damaged to the point that it could not survive another transplant. So he's effectively doomed to die in America's body. And it talks about what he is going to try to do in his remaining days. And then Cadet, the third and the final uh, part of this trilogy that was written in 2006, goes on to find out that there was a child that was conceived between him and America and what his goals were for that child. And I don't want to say too much because it would ruin the ending of America 2. Those, those directly tie in together, and I, I do strongly recommend reading them because they carry on a lot of the tone that this comic really kind of uh, encapsulates. But it takes it in a, in a direction that uh, puts Dread... I, I don't want to say he's in the spotlight in any of these, but he does take a bit more of the limelight in each successive story. But each one of them shows Dread in a way that is not as villainous as he is here. Uh, but then again, he's more villainous here to begin with because we're dealing with more terroristic actions, which we're not dealing with as much in the later two. Oh, okay. Sounds interesting. I'm surprised they didn't name it America 2, America Resurrection or something, or Die Harder. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> as great as that would have been, or I still think it, I, I still think it should have been living in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with like music notes on each side of the title? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that would have been the best way to do it. America 2, living in America, which has to be the official title. You have to sing it every time you read the title. <laughs> or you're not a true 2000 AD fan not a true, true 2000 AD fan or not a true James Brown fan either that's true how <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> I also think of uh, the Weird Al parody living with a hernia oh god I haven't heard that in years <laughs> yeah which is not what he's living with in America too by the way he's not living with a hernia no He's living with, he's basically more like, living with a full body transplant rejection. But and I might have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's too many syllables there to really make it effective, uh, effective songwriting. Yeah. Uh, just throw America at the end. Maybe that'll work. <laughs> living with a full body transplant rejection in America. Yeah. See that it works better if you do that. There you go. But all, all that being said, what we're left here with is not too long of a read pretty quick paced read that doesn't doesn't really waste any time with anything extraneous and at the same time that it doesn't do that um uh, it really does a fantastic job of setting up what this world feels like yeah it's a good introduction if you're if you've already read a couple dread stories again like uh web said don't start with this one it's not going to be the dread story that's going to give you anything about the character that actually is the character there's so many better ones that would do that for you uh interesting note to say about dread before we go here is that dread ages in real time since he's been created so right now he's about 70 something years old that is interesting yeah and unlike other comic book characters one day he will die <laughs> or will he ah uh, yeah he could get a transplant in america yeah, see? <laughs> Transplant in America. How? I feel old. Sign to me. People are going to hate this podcast for what we're doing. <laughs> I'm hurting my own ears. 
I, either way, uh, we have to looking at this comic, uh, both from the time that it was written in 1990 to you know the present day. I think what we've got here is something that not only holds up remarkably well, and is also at times scarier in how it's written today than what it was before. This is a, a remarkably well written and illustrated uh, story here. Very well told. Uh, I would suggest anyone go read it. I would definitely recommend it. What about you, Webb? Oh, definitely. This is one tomb in the crypt here that I would say you need to open up and resurrect this baby because it is uh, a fantastic little story. I also fully recommend the sequels. But yeah, this is this is really a, a great to-the-point read that captures the atmosphere of this world that we're living in in Mega City 1. And even though it doesn't focus too much on the character of Dread, it doesn't need to because it's just an interesting story in general. Yep, I agree. Go read it. Yes. <laughs> yes, go read it. We are the law. We we demand that you read this. Yes. I am the law. <laughs> Indeed you are, my friend. <laughs> and for those of you who have read it already, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you do read this and then come back to us afterwards having done it, we'd like to hear your thoughts on it, too. I would love to hear somebody who was inspired to read something by what we talked about and then, you know, come back away from it to, you know, find out what your thoughts are. Yeah, and, you know, if you see anything we missed, let us know. I'm curious if there's any hidden messages I didn't I didn't gleam, I glossed over. I mean, there's a lot of symbolism that can be uh, taken from all of this in, in itself, but we would like to hear your thoughts on them all. If you want to reach out, obviously there's a YouTube comment section here, or you can reach out to me on Twitter at CriticalAndroid or Gmail at uh, thecriticalandroid at gmail.com. And Stefan, my friend, how can they reach you? And I'm also on Instagram under Cyberpunk Holiday. So come say hi. Yeah. For Stefan JD and myself, Web the Critical Android, this has been another episode of Crypt of the Unknown. We hope you enjoy. And until next time, the crypt is closed. Mm-hmm.